Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Sarah Whitmeyer, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU-WTIU. This week, we're looking at how restaurants across the country and here locally are dealing with the challenging labor market in the wake of COVID-19. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can join us um, by sending us an email to or a text message to news at indianapublicmedia.org. If you have any questions or comments, and you will be uh, questioning or corresponding with our four guests today, we have Andrew Butters, Associate Professor of Economics at Indiana University, Patrick Tam, the President of the Indiana Restaurant and Lodging Association, Sadie Clark, Director of Operations for Wow Food Group, and Bob Costello, owner of Village Deli, Laughing Planet, and Soma. And I should say, Wow Food Group includes Grazi, Southern Stone, and Underground Bakery in Ellettsville. So thank you all for joining us today. And I, I wanted to start with our, our two people who are working in restaurants on, on the ground right now, Sadie and Bob. And I'll start with Sadie and ask about um, what uh, the labor shortage has meant for your restaurants. Are you experiencing the same thing that we're hearing about nationwide? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like sometimes it comes in waves for us, but it's, it's definitely been a stretch to get employees and we've kind of utilized every single resource that we could. What, what kinds of things have you done to try to uh, try to make sure you, you can fu- be fully staffed at all the restaurants? We do the classic stuff, posting to, you know, five different platforms that are hiring, but we've kind of branched out more than that, resorting to Facebook and social media and reaching out to people more than I ever have before on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you find? What are you finding? I mean, it is, are you, and we'll talk about this more in depth, but are you finding that the, you know, extra uh, benefit package is a big deal or is it just that people have gotten used to not working? I do think that that's part of it. Maybe I also, I love restaurants. I've worked with them a long time, but I do think that this has given people time to relax their bodies and realize maybe they don't want to work a lot in a kitchen in a restaurant, you know, and um, maybe they're looking into other things. Let's go to Bob Costello now. Bob, you've been in the restaurant business a long time. Um, you have Village Deli, Laughing Planet, and Soma. What's your experience been like? Our experience has been very similar to Sadie's. We are experiencing, well, in the 22 years I've been in the business, this is probably the most uh, extreme situation I've seen. And like the Wild Food Group, we have been reaching out to people through every social media platform that we participate in, as well as putting signs on tables, telling customers when they come in that if they have children that need a job or anybody they know that wants to work, um, that we are hiring. And um, yeah, it's it's been tough. Um, and it's really been difficult to come out of a pandemic when your thought was if you could survive the pandemic, you would be in the clear only to survive the pandemic and then realize that you don't have enough people to handle the business as it returns. So that's been pretty disappointing. Now, Bob, I know, you know I bumped into you on the street in front of one of your restaurants and you told me a story. And I hope you'll be able to repeat it here about um, another company that's having difficulty getting people that you couldn't even get a tent to go up on Kirkwood. Yeah, prior to graduation weekend, we wanted to put a tent up. The weather report was that uh, the, the weather was going to be uh, bad um, and we needed a tent to have outdoor seating. And the local company said, we have the tent, but we don't actually have the labor to install the tent for you. If you have the labor 
that could do that, then we'll be more than happy to drop it off. And I know um, Uptown and Farm, or Farm specifically, had to go to Terre Haute to get a tent because all of the local providers were unable to um, install or set up the tent. Okay, well, let's broaden this out a little bit to the rest of the state. Patrick Tam is the president of the Indiana Restaurant and Lodging Association. So, Patrick, is Bloomington unique in this? Uh, Unfortunately, uh, not. Uh, this is an issue that uh, is happening throughout the entire state of Indiana, but even more so throughout the entire country. And what uh, Bob just touched on just briefly about tents and, and the tent uh, company, rental company, not having enough employees. We're also seeing that uh, across all of our uh, suppliers. You know, we, it's not an issue of how, many, how much cattle we have. It's the amount of CDL truck drivers that the uh, vendors have or lack thereof. It's the lack of people processing uh, beef as well. Carryout containers aren't having issues on their manufacturing floor, but they have an issue with the number of people they have. The same with Toyota, Honda, um, as well as Subaru and Lafayette. They're experiencing the same types of issues. This is We shut down uh, the economy pretty fast, uh, effectively in the hospitality industry in one day. And getting back Um, I think it was um, one of your earlier questions, or I think Bob said this, which was pretty succinct. You know, you survived the pandemic, and now today in our national surveys of restaurant owners specifically, uh, as well as uh, Indiana's restaurant owners, their larger concern right now is actually getting back to uh, work to realize the guests that we are seeing in our restaurants and properly serving them uh, and the challenges with employment. So, um, a lot of different issues, but we also have these conversations with the Indiana Manufacturers Association in every industry uh, across the state. Well, Andrew Butters is an associate professor of economics at Indiana University. So what are the economic factors at work here, Andrew? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so I, I, I want to make a quick quick correction. Assistant professor at Kelly School of Business. I want to make sure that I'm not uh, jumping the gun there a little bit. But um, so... Yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, there's been uh, a huge reshuffling in the labor market. So, you know, we um, all three of the, the guests have already hit on just, you know, how much of a impact this has had on leisure and hospitality. But, you know, the pandemic has really created a mix of winners and losers. And so, you know, that employment uh, numbers in leisure and hospitality, uh, you know, it's it's a crater. It's, you know, down 12% in Indiana, but there have been other sectors that have actually, you know, sort of recouped or now are above pandemic levels. And so I suspect there's kind of a combination of things that are going on in the labor market. I think Sadie hit on this as well, is that, you know, if you were an average, you know, restaurant, let's just scale things down to say like you had 10 employees, you let, you know, three of them go, you know, one of them has already been hired back. Now, whether it was hired back by you or some other sector, you know, one of them's already back. And then there's one person out there that's still looking for work and is technically right now sort of deemed as unemployed and is looking for work and trying to find that right match. And then there's another person out there that's not looking for work at all anymore. Uh, and so we've seen both across the country as well as Indiana, although Indiana has been a little bit um, protected in this regard, we've seen a fall in the labor force participation rate that um, that should have everyone concerned. And I think there's certainly lots of factors at play there. Hopefully we'll be able to speak to some of those um, later on in the, in the segment, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's really sort of part of what's going on here. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I did mention this to Sadie early on, but one of the things that, that there are, there are some, and uh, one, one side of the political aisle is pointing to the $300 dollars, um, what is it a week extra, <clears throat> in unemployment benefits. Is that really a, is that a factor? Is that a real factor in this? Well, so let's, let's, uh, yeah, let's put that $300 into context. So, you know, if, if, if I'm an employee at, at, you know, at Uptown and I'm, and I'm making minimum wage, uh, and working full time, you know, I'm going to be making, you know, before taxes, $290 a week. Uh, so that 300 federal supplement, and this is now, uh, you know, toned down from the $600 federal supplement that had been um, put in uh, previous stimulus packages is, you know, 
covering my 290 if I was, again, minimum wage, um, working full time. Now, that's in addition to Indiana's uh, current unemployment insurance replacement rate of 47%. And so, you know, you put these numbers together, if I'm uh, collecting unemployment insurance and, and, and then the 300 supplement, you know, yes, I'm in effect uh, collecting right now in weekly income more than what my, um, what my $290 a week uh, at the minimum wage would have been. Uh, now, so that's just the math. I'm not going to argue with the math on that. Um, now, I, I think the evidence to suggest that differences in replacement rates and differences in terms of what these, you know, weekly income supplements have been over the course of pandemic, the, the evidence is really not quite there. Or there's not really a smoking gun that indicates that it's it's that in particular that has, you know, gone one way or the other in terms of employment impact. So there's some really nice work by Alexander Bartik um, do, using payroll data. There's another uh, really nice work by Aaron Dubay, who, uh, who's been really focusing on this. And, and again, the evidence is very mixed. I, I, would, I would be pressed to make the claim that, you know, it's, it's that supplement that, that's driving um, these impacts. I think, it's, I think there are other factors at play. Okay. So if you want to uh, join us on the conversation today, we're talking about the issues of the labor market, specifically with restaurants, but we can certainly expand that out. Uh, we have four guests with us, Andrew Butters, who you just heard from, Assistant Professor of Economics at IU, Sadie Clark, Director of Operations for Wow Food Group that has Grazi Southern Stone and Underground Bakery in Ellettsville, Bob Costello, the owner of Village Deli, Laughing Planet in Soma, and Patrick Tam, who's the president of the Indiana Restaurant and Lodging Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also send us questions to the show at um, Noon Edition. Uh, well, I've, I've lost the address now. I'll get back to you here in, in just a second. Sadie, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the impacts of this. Um, you know, just talk about, you know, your restaurants and how far, you know, how far down um, they were during the pandemic when nobody could come and eat inside and when, um, you know, you had limited outside seating and now are you back to a hundred percent or are you still at 50% inside at your restaurants? How are you, you know, how far back are you now? Um, we're still pretty spaced out in terms of our restaurants, but we'll take, you know, almost whatever we don't, we still aren't taking super large parties. Um, and in the big, I mean, I did start this role. I was with a food distribution company before, which was its own battle. So I started this job actually middle pandemic um, when the restaurants were just coming off of carry out only um, when we had, you know, two people working at every location. And now we've been able to build that up a little bit. But kind of like Bob said, it's tough to um, be ready and excited to have the business and then not sure if it's going to be executed because you just don't have what it is. We want to accept all the business that we can at this point, um, which I think we do a good job of, but it's hard to say sometimes because we don't have the staff that we had. Well, and you just came through, uh, you know, a very busy weekend in town that had Mother's Day and it had, uh, you know, graduation at IU. I mean, how how was that compared to what a normal year might have been like? The menu is pretty different. Lucky for us with the multiple locations, we were able to, we also have a catering company um, in town that we were able to utilize. So kind of the higher ups, including myself, prepped a lot of all the graduation items for the menus at the other locations, which I think was a really big help because I think there was almost no way that our unit managers could have pulled off normal prep like every other year. Mm. There's no way. Okay. Uh, I want to give that... uh that text address news at Indiana public media.org is how you can send us a message, uh, an email message, and we will get it and get your question on the air. Bob, same question to you. I mean, how far, how far have you come back at your restaurants? Uh, I, I would say we're 80% of um, previous year. I mean, April uh, was a strong month for us, but it could have been, uh, similar or even better than the previous year had we had enough staff or we had enough seating capacity. 
Uh, we have not increased our seating capacity to 100%. Um, we still do not have indoor uh, seating at our coffee shops. But I think, you know, the important thing too that we're looking at is we have employees that have worked 15 months during this pandemic and they are burnt out. They are fried and they are questioning whether they want to continue to do this. And we're putting more pressure on them and strain when we don't have enough labor and they're having to work harder to handle the amount of business as well as to handle the additional services that we had to add in order to stay open, which was curbside and carry out. So now we're, you know, our business is back, but we're offering more services with less people. So you can imagine um, running full tilt every day uh, has negative uh, repercussions for all of us, really. So I want to ask this question while Sadie's still with us. Sadie has to go at our halfway mark on the program, but I want to ask this of all, all four of you, but we have had a, well, I read, I read a piece in the New York times yesterday uh, by David Leonhardt about um, he was talking about su- supply and demand. And he was basically trying to make the case that, you know, there, there, the supply is out there for people who can work. Um, but they're not taking jobs in the restaurant industry because it pays so low. And he was trying to make the case that, that restaurants and hospitality, the hospitality industry is going to have to start paying better in order to rebuild their, their, um, their labor force. And, you know, I know it's not a simple proposition. So Bob, I'll start with you. I mean, uh, when you hear something like that or some position like that, that you're just going to have to start paying more in order to get your employees. What's that, you know, what, what are the various, um, various perspectives on that? Well, first of all, I would say whoever wrote that article needs to get out of their office and start talking to actual businesses because that's not the case. We've increased our pay as have, as has every restaurant in this town, people are not, applying they're not they're not even filling out an application um and that only that does not only apply to restaurants but if you talk to cook and baxter and catalan who have raised their rates to 15 dollars an hour they still are not getting people applying either and those jobs include health benefits uh Uh, I don't know if it's profit sharing, but definitely health benefits and paid vacation. So I disagree with that uh, writer's um, uh, point that the employees are out there and that they're not willing to work in the restaurant because it doesn't pay well. I think we have bigger societal issues that are putting pressure on manufacturing as well as restaurant. And that is childcare, health benefits, um, access to education, uh, you know, when you're, uh, when families are expected to educate their children and work at the same time, uh, it really complicates things. So, okay. Thanks, uh, Bob. Uh, Sadie? Um, I have to, I mean, I think it really depends. I think a lot goes into it. And I do think a lot of restaurants have gone out of their way to pay more or offer some sort of bonus for COVID during COVID. Um, But I still think I'm, I'm not sure it's about the pay either. I think that a lot of it is the quality of work, which if you've worked in restaurants, you know that it is hard work. It is. There's no way around it. I mean, you're on your feet the entire time. A lot of people work double. Some people work, you know, 16 hour shifts sometimes, especially on graduation weekend. It's a hard job. I think that a lot of times it, it it comes down to that now and not necessarily the pay as much as how this has affected everyone's quality of life. I, I mean, when I worked for us foods, there were a lot of issues too, and there still are with like getting people to butcher the meat so we can send it places to actually ship. It's all the jobs that are really hard jobs. Um, so I don't know if it pays enough for people at this point. Maybe eventually. I, I I'm not really sure. Okay. Bob, well, this this is Patrick. Yeah. Let me mm-hmm. let me talk about that. That that's a reporter with an agenda. 
So I'm just going to call a spade a spade because it's what's just been talked about. We have forty to eighty thousand dollar a year jobs where we're ready to offer them. They don't show for the first day of work. They don't show for the interview. There's larger issues at play here. At the same time, what was talked about, realize we laid or fired everyone in the entire industry. In one day, we laid off 215,000 people in the restaurant industry in Indiana. We laid off 95% of those that worked in the hotel industry. What made them great employees, what made them future leaders, also make them highly attractive in other industries. So in large part, a lot of our people are good people that were our future leaders, probably our future owners, went and found great employment in other industries. Wages today, we have servers making $25, $35, $40 an hour uh, at low check average restaurants. Why? Because we're seeing great customer volumes. Across the state, we have many restaurants that are competing with their 2019 sales figures. Where is that different? Central business districts, downtowns, and college communities. Why is that? College communities, pretty simple. Did you have any fans at any of your home football games? Did you have any fans at your home basketball games? Are your mother's weekends, your parent weekends different? Are your graduation ceremonies different? How many special events have you had at IU? Very few. So you have unique situations of echo, echo uh, systems in terms of the economics, but the factors at play here too are also we lead the country. We lead the world, frankly, in women owners. We lead in minority owners. We lead, if we wanna talk about decision makers and leaders, it's women and minorities. When we talk about schools not being in, 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 in person or a hybrid schedule, or four days a week versus a Friday, very challenging uh, for a lot of people to also be the primary caregiver for children, for their families, an educator, as well as working 40 hours a week. There's numerous factors at play, but there's also another issue. We laid off because we were forced to everyone in our industry effectively. What you heard just a moment ago is we went down to two employees per location. I guarantee you that was significantly less than what they previously had employed, whether it was full-time or part-time. A third of America gets their first job in a restaurant. 50% of America have worked in a restaurant at some point. It is hard work. At the same time, we also are the number one industry for opportunity. We take people, we give them first job skills. We also give people their second and third chances in life as well. We're immensely flexible as well. So the wage issue is really just a political ax to grind and we need to call a spade a spade here. So the piece is we have serious management positions. We have serious management positions in manufacturing facilities that are going unfilled right now. There's a lot of different th issues at play here. And frankly, from an economist standpoint, we don't have enough data um, and we won't for some time to figure this out. Patrick, I want to follow up with you on this, and maybe Andrew knows something about the data and he can follow up too. But when you talk about how you had to lay all these people off and then they they had to go out and find, and they did go out and find some of them, found new jobs. Do you know where they found jobs that they're not coming it, back to it the depend, It depends upon the location or geography of the state. So in Northern Indiana, um, our, the RV industry has always been very strong manufactured housing. So guess what? They found uh, quite a bit of jobs there. But right now, you'll you'll see every manufactured housing and RV company in northern Indiana also uh, have billboards up. In southern Indiana, you have some unique companies, Covance and some others that have hired up significantly on manufacturing floors as those. Uh, so there's logistics in central Indiana that we always compete with. Uh, and then you have other factors in terms of housing and construction that have been uh, fantastic during this time. We also have a lot of folks, and I think Andrew talked about this earlier, that while well, hospitality employment has been down and we're not fully recovered, in hotels, we've lost 10 years of job growth, but other sectors, Amazon, um, you know, logistics and, and, and how people uh, procure goods for their homes and themselves has changed. Uh, it was moving that way, but it has rapidly accelerated I mean, right now, the other piece for restaurants, 
the amount of changes that we've had, we, we heard earlier from Sarah about their menus being different across the board. We've done a lot of that, whether it's in a large part, uh, menus have been more efficient, probably not going to see that change back, but you also more, most importantly, used to have restaurants that did 0% carry out and delivery. Now they're 25, 30% on a weekly basis uh, with a full dining room, depending upon their social distancing and so forth and their capacity limits. But suddenly we have 25, 30% every week and we may have had zero, maybe 5% where that was. So, but to your particular question though, there's a lot of different industries, logistics and area manufacturing, different regional economies have, have done exceptionally well in 2020. And that's something that we're proud of. I mean, let's be clear. We're not upset that people that we tragically had to let go uh, found great opportunities for themselves. We're happy about that. Thank you. Andrew, do you want to follow up? And is there anything you want to add? About yeah, so I just, I guess I wanted to, you know, double down on on what Bob and, um, you know, Patrick have already mentioned regarding kind of these other factors at play. I, I figured that they were going to come up. And so I'm glad that glad that they've already raised them. But I, I would just, you know, like to bring a, a little bit more, uh, you know, data to it. And that is, you know, the, the labor force participation rate in Indiana, it's been protected, but in Indiana has fallen like there. And, and this retreat has disproportionately been in some very specific demographic groups, women, <laughs> single mothers, you know, women of color. So there are going to be, and, and there's lots of reasons. And I think the, you know, the other guests hit on probably a majority of them who are the primary uh, people that, you know, are taking care of children or dependents or educating them when uh, schools aren't in session or childcare isn't available, or they're taking care of their, uh, their parent or an elderly family member who might not otherwise be able to be taken care of in, in, in other forms. So, you know, I think that's an important, important piece. I, I know we've already sort of uh, beaten up the wage element, so so I'll I'll, I'll leave that um, I'll leave that as it may. Uh, to, to Patrick's point, uh, and and he was certainly filling in all of the the names and particular businesses in terms of Indiana, and he's exactly right. Warehousing, logistics, storage, electronic shop, shopping, mail order. These didn't these didn't have a bump, and they're and they're thriving. Uh, okay. And when it comes to payroll employment, so, you know, um, I, I don't, and, and yes, I, I want to be a little bit um, careful with, you know, the data that we have available to us right now. I mean, it, we're still, there's lags in that and how much of it is permanent relative to transient. I think it's still too early to tell, but yeah, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know where the reshuffling happened. And, and I think Patrick hit on, on all the big ones. So, Andrew, we're talking obviously about restaurants today, and Patrick has mentioned the lodging industry as well. But I'm wondering about some of these other fields where maybe people are still working from home. Do you think, are we going to see those industries affected as well when people have to go back to in person and go back into an office? Uh, well, I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's probably to try to avoid <laughs> medium to long term project projections on. Uh, on those sorts of uh, dynamics, I, you know, my take on this is that what we have all gone through in the last 14, 15 months has, has been, uh, you know, a life event, not unlike what people go through when they, uh, you know, have an, an added member to their family or they get married or they move across the country for a new job. I mean, that, that's what we, that's what we all collectively went through. Um, and so to think that it hasn't, isn't going to have an impact on priorities and you know what people want and what people don't want. And I think the I think the other guests have already hit on um, how that's been playing out in terms of um, job matches and what people are looking for. Uh, but I I think yes, also for employees that have now gone 15 months where they haven't seen their colleagues because they've been working from home or remotely or at some hybrid situation. Yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how how all that plays out. Uh, and again. I think it would be naive to think that we're just going to revert back immediately to January 2020 norms and and you know office uh, behavior, but but you know we'll see. It, time time will certainly tell, and it'll be a very interesting time to be tracking that data. Yeah, if I if I could touch on that just briefly, because I get engaged in these conversations with a lot of different C-suite uh, large employers throughout the the state and frankly beyond. 
you know, Eli Lilly announced uh, uh, last week that in June, 25% of their corporate headquarters expect to be back in the office. However, they will require that for those individuals to be fully vaccinated. But come July 12th, uh, they expect 100% of their headquarters to be occupied in, in their office. Um, uh, this morning, uh, Indiana University announced that uh, anyone for in-person learning or uh, on their uh, payroll, if you will, uh, needs to be vaccinated for the fall semester. May have a detail or two of that different, but Andrew probably has the exact wording. But <laughs> th those issues are are are, are real. Uh, but what Andrew just said is absolutely critical, which is it's not going to go back to what it was. Uh, it's going to be different. People do have and companies do have uh, the need and desire for their cultures and collaborative uh, learning and working uh, to have people uh, engage versus living on Zoom and staring at each other through their computer screens. Uh, but it also um, uh, will make changes in commercial real estate uh, as people utilize their office spaces differently or may arrange them differently. Uh, that's where, you know, we used to have in uh, uh, Indianapolis, downtown Indianapolis, 150 plus thousand people, 155,000 to be specific, that came from the suburban county surrounding Marion County that went to a mile square to work every day. Today, we may be lucky to have 15,000 people make that trip on a daily basis. So that has dramatic impacts, kind of like not having a full you know, assembly hall. Um, that has dramatic impacts on economic activity. Uh, where does that go? So those are the pieces that uh, we see some differences. Uh, we see a lot of uh, uh, issues with uh, how people uh, go to work and how they do work. And some of the changes that uh, we've done are going to be here for the foreseeable future as well as people try to readjust, but it won't be back to normal. Um, normal is going to be a, a new something. If you want to comment today or send us a question, news at indianapublicmedia.org or send us your question on Twitter at Noon Edition. Bob Costello, how did this change your life as a business owner? I mean, you had to go, you, you had to become very strategic in what you did, I would assume. How did it just change, you know, the way that you looked at all at, at the three different restaurants that you had? And how did you adjust those? Each of the restaurants um, offers a different type of service. So Village Deli is a sit down um, restaurant uh, that was hit the hardest by COVID. The uh, Laughing Planet Cafe has always been more of a grab and go. So they did very well during the pandemic. And um, Soma Coffee House as well. We did curbside delivery and um, grab and go. So uh, the coffee went um, fairly well uh, during the pandemic too. But how it changed the way we operated is one, I do think we became better employers because we not only had to worry about the welfare of our businesses, but we really had to worry and be concerned about the welfare of our team members and um, assisting them in whatever way we could um, to be able to work and live and um, maintain their stress levels. People had really high levels of anxiety. Um, so I think it made us better, um, uh, better employers and more connected with our employees. Um, and as a business, it was just a constant pivot. So I would say as an owner, um, I owned the Village Deli for 21 years and I'm much older than when I first bought the business and I'm back to startup phase. I'm hosting, I'm busing, I'm washing dishes, I'm on the line. Um, and uh, I think Patrick can probably answer this better than I can, but I think the average age of independent restaurant owners is close to mine, which is mid fifties. And I think quite a few of them are wondering how long they can do this or how much longer they want to do this um, because it's pretty taxing. Patrick, can you, uh, can you add to that? And also just the idea of, you know, are more restaurants going to be going to some sort of counter service or grab and go model? 
Actually, that, that's a fantastic question what you just asked. Um, absolutely, you're going to see changes in restaurant concepts to uh, uh, reflect a variety of different uh, uh, stressors on the restaurant industry and really industry at large. Counter service is a real issue. Um, you know, people utilizing uh, iPads or, or tablets at a table, a, a real technology issue there as well. You know, at this time last year, unfortunately, I really got to know uh, who owned what, what building and what real estate. But um, what Bob just said is correct. You're seeing a lot. You know, we lost over 20% of Indiana's re uh, restaurants permanently. Um, they're, they're gone. They're not coming back. We have a lot of restaurants right now that are uh, temporarily closed on a Monday or Tuesday, some even Wednesday. They may never come back to a full week. Um, some of that's labor related. Some of that is all sorts of different factors. If they're in downtown Terre Haute, they don't see any business travel or business expenses, although we have two years to utilize a tax, full tax deduction on business meals for those listening. But yeah, um, the reality is that a lot of uh, independent restaurant groups or independently led uh, groups or locations, a lot of folks are sitting there going, I, I, I'm doing everything. I'm doing 100 hour plus weeks again. And uh, I don't know if I can do this much longer uh, or want to do this much longer. So restaurants really, uh, I mean, Bloomington, let, let's talk about Bloomington. Bloomington's a phenomenal restaurant community with a lot of innovation. Uh, and also an uh, unbelievable representation of ethnic, cultural identity uh, restaurants that are just outstanding. Um, so that's where, uh, you know, people are doing things. But counter service and labor issues, uh, absolutely the case. If you can do great volume with a third of the labor, uh, you're going to take a look at that. Because right now you're going to restaurants and they're not seating every table it's not because they don't want to, it's because they don't have enough servers. They don't have enough people in the kitchen. Uh, I was just had the good fortune of taking my daughter down to Orlando for a, a cheer, cheer competition. And they, um, it's the same issue in Orlando. So it's the same issue everywhere, but counter service labor, labor markets and so forth, uh, are driving a lot of those changes. Great question. Sarah. Patrick, and then uh, Bob, maybe you as well, can uh, chime in. I'm just wondering about the CDC's new mask guidance, and obviously Indiana isn't requiring masks anymore, but how is that affecting individual restaurants and, you know, the employees who work there where maybe they're in a position of policing people and whether they've been vaccinated and need to wear a mask? Bob, how's that going at your restaurants? Um. Well, first, I'd like to say that I think that the position that the governor and local government has put the service industry in is deplorable. The fact that they expect us to police people um, when we're in the service industry, it, it just has not put us in a very comfortable position. Um, ironically, when the governor lifted the mask mandate, we have had less people come into the business uh, without a mask. I, I can't explain why, but prior to that, um, it was just really difficult. We had a lot of people who wanted to tell us what their political views were and why they weren't wearing a mask or why they refused to wear a mask. Um, it, was, uh, <clears throat> it was really tough. And I think um, it's good that they, announce that they're um, taking, you know, that we don't have to wear the mask. But when you're, most of your employees are in the age group of 19 to 24, and they were the last, one of the last groups to get vaccinated, um, we are not lifting that mask mandate until all of our employees are vaccinated. Um, so I, you know, hopefully we've all learned some lessons from this pandemic. And I would hope that one of the lessons is, that if we're going to call people essential workers, then they should be the first people that receive vaccinations. And Bob, Bob's point is absolutely on target, um, absolutely without question. It's been a very hard process for 16, 17-year-old server, uh, excuse me, hosts, hostesses, 
to be the enforcer of masks early on. Uh, it, it created a lot of problems, a lot of tense conversations uh, across many industries, but first and foremost in restaurants. Uh, with where mask mandates have been lifted right now in the state, uh, Marion County um, really is the only mandate, but many restaurants, overwhelming majority at minimum have all their employees wearing masks 100%. Um, in the hotel community, 100% of hotel, branded hotels are requiring masks. It does put a lot of pressure uh, on a lot of folks. I, um, My oldest son is 19. He, he's a physical presence. And uh, the restaurant that he worked at uh, liked having him be the uh, host because he, he could uh, a little, uh, be a little bit more of a physical presence than unlike some. But the uh, the reality is, it's caused a lot of pain and suffering in terms of pretty tense conversations. And the one thing that I always ask is people just to show some common decency and, um, and some respect and courtesy uh, to others that are frankly trying to work. Masks have served a great purpose uh, in getting people back to work um, and something that we've had absolutely no issues with uh, with regards to that. The CDC announcements have also caused some additional conversations, which I've advised health departments and uh, mayors against, which in some cases they've asked about vaccinated and non-vaccinated sections, kind of like the old uh, years of the past of non-smoking and smoking sections. We do not want to be in that business either. Um, so there's a lot of challenges with, with the mask piece and the CDC at the same time, uh, we are very uh, optimistic uh, about people getting vaccinated uh, and encourage all, all to do so. Bob, I just want to clarify before uh, we leave this topic, but you said that since the mask mandate has been lifted, you're seeing more people wearing masks in your stores? Ironically, yes. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure I understood that. Yeah, it's it's been a strange situation for us um, and uh, one that we've been happy about. Mm -hmm. Andrew, so, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the, the short-term effects of this. I mean, how, how long are some of these issues going to be with us? What, what do you see, you know, putting your crystal ball out there? And I think you might've said earlier that one thing you've learned is it's hard to predict in a time of a pandemic, but are a lot of the a lot of these changes here to stay? Well, so let me just uh, speak to one that I think hopefully uh, sort of ties a lot of themes that have been um, already ad addressed um, in the segment, and that's the labor force participation um, angle to this. Uh, you know, we've seen, uh, and now if you just want to take across the country, just for ease. A drop in the labor force participation rate in the last 15 months that that would mostly represent like a decade type event. Now we've seen some rebound, but we're still pretty far below that. And and my view is that in terms of you know when do more of the things get back to normal that we'd like to have get back to normal is when you know we see some of that labor force participation rate start ticking up again. It would seem to me like there's a lot of uh, factors that relate to, you know, whether or not children are still being, you know, taught at home and how is childcare being taken care of, how are care relative to, you know, elderly. And, and, and again, we've seen wonderful strides when it comes to the vaccine, vaccine and the rollout and, and its efficacy. And so these, these like are all really, really positive indicators and all signs that we should really expect that this uh, drop in labor force participation rate, of which is certainly hitting some sectors disproportionately more than others, um, but that that would not be a permanent uh, effect, and that it could be something that you know, in maybe six months, a year's time, we look back on this and, and think, man, that you know, it was it was difficult, it was very hard, but we got through it, and, and now we're sort of fighting at full strength again, uh, and, and hopefully all, all the better for it. So. Just to, again, just to sort of clarify, it sounds like you're saying this could be a precipitating event for people to look carefully at, at childcare, for instance. 
Well, you can't look at the labor force participation rate numbers now and, 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 and who's more down relative to others and not think that it has something to do with, uh, with, uh, with child care. I mean, I, the, there's some nice work um, by Diane Whitesmore, uh, you know, th that I, I think, yes, I think there's absolutely in the data signs that that is certainly a contributing factor. And so if we want to, uh, you know, if we want to get us back to fighting strength, uh, it would seem like some of that uh, friction, uh, you know, needs to be released. So yeah. if, uh, just to, just to touch, touch on Andrew's uh, point, which, well, that's an academic study, I, I would tell you that, I mean, we've seen a precipitous drop of women participation in, in, in the workforce across all industries. We are dramatically exposed to that issue as well, because those are the folks that not just own our restaurants, but lead them, run them, and uh, are, are the future leaders and future owners as well. But, you know, hospital systems, I've had multiple, numerous conversations with our, our largest healthcare systems. They're, they're faced, a large part of their hospitals are run by women. And keeping hospitals staffed during a time period where it absolutely had to was overwhelming. But anecdotally, and this is, we, we get a, a large group of HR leaders together uh, monthly, if not more often, particularly here in the last 15 months. They brought people back to work, are giving them 40 hours a week, and they literally come into HR and say, look, I, I just can't, I can't figure out how to do this with my kids at home. And they want to work, need to work. I mean, there's all sorts of different factors at play, uh, and it is very, very challenging to do that. My community that I live in, uh, my kids go to, to go to school. I still have uh, grade school children as well. Um, one of the, they're looking for a new superintendent. One of the, the questions, one of the statements came back overwhelming for the community is we need our kids back in school five days a week. Um, and this is a suburban Indianapolis community, but uh, that is, there's a large sector there that I think you just hit on in terms of how do we look at child care, not just for um, uh, school age children, but also younger as well. So, Bob, I mean, from your perspective, what are some of the things that we need to do in order to help folks in the restaurant industry right now so that our restaurants that have made it through the pandemic can can survive right now? Well, um, friends that know me know I'm constantly lecturing them about having their children work. Um, restaurants were always a starting place for kids who turn 16 to start working. And it's pretty rare for us to have high school kids that apply, um, let alone at this point, college kids to work. And the idea that parents give as an excuse that their children are too busy to have a job, a part-time job, or while they're in college, they are too busy to work when the bars are full Tuesday through Sunday in Bloomington. Um, I, I find that argument pretty weak. Um, but what we need to do as a restaurant is we need to be attractive enough as employers that people want to work in our industry. And the idea that childcare <clears throat> is one of those issues is something that I think we need to look, look at closely is how do we get um, employees back to work um, and back at work where they can concentrate on work without worrying about their children at home and whether they are signed on or signed off of uh, uh, their school. Um, so, I mean, I think those are some of the things. It's a, it's a pretty big um, question. We have improved wages and we'll continue to do so. Um, and we're trying to improve the working environment so that people aren't working as much. So I think um, we'll definitely see some changes in the restaurant industry, and I think they'll all be for the better, um, provided that we can continue to, to operate. So, you know, anybody can take this. I'll, I'll address it to Andrew first, but from this child care, um, the child care issue, are we, are we going to be seeing new models of, uh, to try to, to address the child care uh, shortage, if there is such a thing, you know, a lot of, a lot of big companies will provide childcare, you know, in their, 
in their factories or in their shops? I mean, is this a case where restaurants might have to band together with some sort of childcare cooperative? I think you uh, probably addressed that one to the to the wrong guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't I don't see that. No, um, I, I think we're still uh, I, I think we're still at a level of you know schools being open and and other facilities that would have that would have been around. Uh, you know, let's say February or January of 2020, and and let's let's let some of what we don't think is permanent um, flush itself through the system, and, and then I think you know the need for new models can can be discussed. But I I, um, I probably defer to Bob and Patrick on that. I, I don't I don't see uh, I don't see necessarily that. Uh, All right, I'll withdraw that as as not a very good question. So, I just we only have a couple minutes to go, uh, Patrick and Bob. I mean, what what message would you give to your customers about what the restaurant business is going through, and you know what can you what can your customers do to help, Patrick? Continue to come into restaurants. Uh, we look forward to serving you, but then also. Uh, we would encourage people to take a look at uh, restaurants as the true industry of opportunity, uh, where we are highly reflective of our, our communities. We invest in our communities. We continue to philanthropically give in the last 15 months. Well, restaurants almost had zero business in doing so, but they continue to invest in those communities and continue to support those local restaurants that you celebrate life milestones to make sure they're still there for you. Um, we also, the other pieces go encourage. I couldn't have said it better than what Bob said. Go encourage young people to go get their first job in a restaurant, like most of America does, to teach a lot of those first job skills um, that they can take to other careers and other opportunities. And they can also potentially find their way into a career in the restaurant industry. Eight out of t- 10 restaurant owners started out entry level. Uh, most of the career path, uh, they work in the restaurant industry, go. Uh, pursue other opportunities, and they come back as an owner uh, in the restaurant space. Hotels, very similar as well. So a lot of opportunity, probably even more so than ever in the hospitality industry, not just in Indiana, but throughout the country. Bob, about uh, 20 seconds to wrap up. If you got anything else you want to say? I, I would just say the Bloomington community has been so supportive and generous to local restaurants and just continue to support them. Recognize that your dining experience may take a little bit longer, but over the last 14 months, you haven't been able to visit with that friend that's sitting across the table from you. So enjoy that time, be patient and show a lot of grace with the staff and respect for the staff um, because we're doing our absolute best. All right. I'm going to cut you off there. We are we are out of time. I want to thank Bob Costello, the owner of Village Deli Laughing Planet in Soma, as well as Patrick Tam from the Indiana Restaurant and Lodging Association and Andrew Butters uh, from the uh, professor, assistant professor of economics in the Indiana at Indiana University. We also were joined in the first half of the program by Sadie Clark from Wild Food Group. For Brock Turner, our producer today, and Aaron Kane, who is our engineer, and co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition.